Thursday, January 16th, 2020. That is the date that we are taping this show. Sunday, March 15th, 2020. Selection Sunday for this year's NCAA tournament. Every day in between brackets and bracketology going to be on the minds of college basketball fans. And that is exactly what we are going to be talking about on this podcast. Welcome to the Athletics Bracket Madness. I am your host, Michael Beller, joined as I will be every single episode by my co-host, our bracketologist here at The Athletic, Brian Bennett. Brian, I am very excited about this show. Thanks for joining me, man. Thanks for being on board with this idea. I'm really excited what we're going to be doing over the next couple of months. I love that we've uh, uh, tricked the athletic into letting us nerd out about brackets every week. And uh, to call it bracket madness uh, is particularly uh, appropriate this year uh, because this is madness, trying to figure out the 68 best teams in this college basketball season. Yeah, it's it's been a crazy year, and to think we still have two more months of this, right? We're still just at the tip of the iceberg of uh, of conference play. To, to think that we still have so many twists and turns. We know they're ahead of us. We don't know what they're going to be or where they're going to come, but we do know that all of them will lead us to Selection Sunday, all roads leading to that field of 68, as you said, figuring it out, figuring out who the 68 teams in the dance are going to be, putting together those at-large bids, all those cases, and that's what we're going to focus on in Bracket Madness every single week. We'll be coming at you weekly, uh, at least for the next month. As the tournament gets a little bit nearer, we will probably get together uh, maybe twice a week when we get really close to the tournament. Maybe we'll even be able to get three times a week. We'll be bringing on our bubble expert, Eamon Brennan, when we get a little bit closer to tourney time, but this is just going to be a show and I believe the internet's first ever podcast dedicated solely to bracketology and how you put together a tournament field of 68. We're going to be picking your brain, Brian. We're going to be trying to project what the selection committee is going to be doing every single week on this show. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, so first, I just want to uh, sort of set the uh, set the ground rules, set the foundation uh, for what this show uh, is going to be and do it with you, Brian. I mean, you're the guy who does this for us here at uh, The Athletic. You're our bracket expert. You're our bracketologist. Uh, how long you been doing this and uh, how much do you really enjoy it? I mean, it's it's pretty great to put together a field and project what it's going to look like on Selection Sunday. Well, I've been doing it for many years, but I've only started getting paid for it last year. <laughs> uh, I'm such a basketball nerd that, uh, you know, there were many years where I'd be sitting in bars and scribbling on napkins and, and doing brackets to myself or trying to trick friends into getting in a contest with me to pick pick the seeds and that sort of thing. But uh, last year, the Athletic asked me to take over Bracket Watch, and so I did that for the first time and, and really had to, you know, bear down and do it every week <laughs> and, and adhere to all the principles and stuff. And you you learned a lot of things along the way, and this uh, this year's uh, my second year of doing it, and uh, you know it's, it's again very challenging this year. Um, maybe we should just invite sixty eight teams and not seed them <laughs> <laughs> this year, but uh, it's it's just a blast. I love it. Uh, I'm always thinking of this stuff. I feel like I dream in brackets. Uh, how about you, Michael? Yeah, especially this time of year, right? Um, so I, I actually did this uh, I, before I worked for The Athletic. I was at Sports Illustrated, and I uh, did bracketology. I was their bracket guy for five years. Um, so I'm happy to be um, you know, not officially handing the uh, baton to you, but in a way giving up 
uh, my bracket watch for your bracket watch and getting to do this uh, with you. I know those bracketing principles are uh, can be a headache uh, from time to time, and we'll get into that at some point this winter and early spring as we're talking every single week here on Bracket Madness. But uh, it's been it's going to be a whole lot of fun as we get together and uh, and let these uh, what we have before us now whittle down. All right, there's probably 150 or so teams right now that could maybe be attorney uh, bound at some point, and we're going to be whittling that down all the way to 68. So we hope you uh, follow along with us. You can follow us on Twitter. Uh, you can get Brian at G, Brian Bennett, and me at M. Beller. If you're out there listening to us in the free universe, iTunes, Spotify, wherever it might be, please rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. It'll get to you faster if you do that. Rate and review really does help us out. So if you're already enjoying what you're hearing, uh, we would greatly appreciate it. And if you are in the free universe, good news for you. If you've been thinking about an athletic subscription, you can go to theathletic.com slash Bracket Madness right now and get yourself 40% off an annual subscription to The Athletic. Obviously, we've got a ton of great college basketball for you, uh, but it's not just that. Uh, NFL playoffs still in full swing. Obviously, NHL and NBA in the middle of their seasons. Uh, Baseball in the middle of what might go down as the biggest scandal in MLB history. That was broken by Ken Rosenthal and Evan Drellick right here at The Athletic. So anything that you want in sports, we've got it for you at The Athletic. Theathletic.com slash Bracket Madness. 40% off in annual subscription. Uh, you ready to get into the brackets, Brian? Let's do it. All right. Well, this again, this is Thursday that we're recording this. You're listening to it at some point over the weekend. There are some games on Thursday night that we're not going to be able to factor into our discussions here tonight. Uh, so uh, we don't think they're really going to affect uh, what your bracket looks like. That comes out on Friday, January 17th. No offense, Santa Clara, uh, who goes to Spokane tonight to take on Gonzaga. We expect Gonzaga to be able to handle that. There are a few games. Colorado, Arizona State uh, is a game that comes to mind. Cincinnati, Memphis. So there are some games, but nothing that we expect to have too much of an effect on what you unveil to the world on The Athletic in your official bracket for this week on Friday. So we're going to set the stage with your one seeds. We're going to have a few staples in every single episode of Bracket Madness. One of them is going to be going over your one seed. So right now, as you have it, your four one seeds going into this weekend are? Yes, the same four seeds that they were last week, but in a different order. They are in order, Baylor, Butler, Duke, and Kansas. Michael, do you Baylor, have uh, any disagreements Butler, with those? Duke and Kansas. No, I think I, I think that's a I think that's a fair group of uh, of uh, four teams of four one seeds that you have on the top line there. Um, how long have you had it as those four teams? Uh, well, we did one in in late December, um, and then we just started the weekly one last week, so uh, it looked a little different in December. I believe Ohio State was a number one seed back then, mm-hmm. um, so it, it has changed. Uh, but uh, this is the second week in a row. But the, the order has changed uh, significantly. Duke and Kansas were the number one and two overall seeds last week, and now they're number three and four. So you see how that can change uh, pretty quickly. Did you give any consideration to moving Butler down a line after their home loss to Seton Hall on Wednesday? Not really. I mean, uh, I think Seton Hall is really good. In fact, I have Seton Hall as a number three seed uh, this week, which is maybe a bit aggressive, but I've been very impressed uh, with the way they've been playing lately. I don't think they've lost since mid-December and have some very good wins. And also, if you look at Butler, the only two losses they have on the season are at Baylor, who's the number one overall seed, of course, and then that game against Seton Hall. And they have nine wins in Quadrant 1 and Quadrant 2 combined, which is tied for the most in the country with uh, West Virginia, uh, who's the number two seed on, on my uh, on my sheet. So I didn't really consider moving Butler down. Uh, in fact, I think they moved up in a certain way. Uh, if anything, I probably uh, considered moving Kansas down 
they lost at home to Baylor. You know, it's no, no nothing bad about losing mm-hmm. uh, to the number one overall seed, but it is their third loss. Uh, they do still have some good wins. Uh, very strong strength of schedule. In fact, they're number one in the country in strength of schedule. And they have uh, seven quadrant one wins, which is the most in the country. So I ended up keeping them um, on the one line ahead of Gonzaga, which I know uh, we'll talk about a little bit later. Yeah, we we come to expect that of Kansas, right? This is a team that always plays a tough schedule. It's something that always plays to their benefit uh, when we do get around to tournament time, and they've done that this year. So uh, even with the three losses, I can see why they remain on the one line. And that Big 12, we're going to be talking about them or that conference quite a bit here on this show because Baylor, Kansas, West Virginia – all looking like powerhouses. We talk about bracketing principles. That's going to be something uh, that could be a, a little bit of a, of a nuisance for the selection committee when they're figuring out exactly where those three teams are going to go. But it's going to be a Big 12, Big 10 heavy year in the brackets. Let's move on to our next staple. We'll be talking all these every single episode, your last four buys. So uh, we know that you've got a last four in, of course, and a first four out, but these last four teams that avoid having to play in the first four in Dayton, who do you have on that line heading into the weekend? I have St. Mary's, Houston, Indiana, and Minnesota. And the interesting thing there is Indiana and Minnesota were my last two teams out last week. Uh, They both or they both get in. Oh, excuse me, Purdue, Minnesota were my last two teams out last week. So excuse me on that. Minnesota was out of the field last week. Um, they get in after two two really good wins um, this past week. And uh, I did actually uh, switch switch uh, the seed lines uh, on that because uh, we'll probably get into this later because there's so many Big Ten teams uh, that uh, were on the seven and ten line and they can't play each other in the first round in the seven ten game. So uh, even though St. Mary's and Houston are uh, a little bit ahead of them on the seed line. Uh, that was uh, one of those bracketing principle situations. Yeah, St. Mary's is uh, is an interesting one to me because of uh, a problem that a lot of these teams in, in smaller conferences are going to face, right? Just not a ton of opportunities to get those signature wins. Obviously, they still have their uh, a couple of games with Gonzaga. BYU is looking like a legitimate tournament contender, but uh, didn't do a ton in the non-conference. They did beat Wisconsin on a neutral floor their very first game of the season. That was a game that went to overtime. Uh, does St. Mary's need a win over a Gonzaga, you think? I mean, obviously, you now I'm asking you to project two months in advance, but are they going to need a Gonzaga win to get in, a BYU win, or can they just dominate the rest of the WCC and get in that way? Well, they can't go 0-4 against Gonzaga and BYU. That, that's not going to work. This is a team uh, that looked really good, I thought, going into conference play. Uh, but since then, they've lost at Pacific. Uh, they lost last week to Santa Clara at home. And they also have a loss to Winthrop at home uh, early in the season. So uh, those are some bad losses. And as you said, they don't have the wins in the non-conference to really counter that. You know, and some part of that's bad luck. You know, they, they beat Utah State. And a lot of people, including myself, thought Utah State was going to be really good this year. They've had some struggles, haven't been able to put it together. Uh, so that could have been a quad one, quad two type game, uh, but now it's not. Um, and so they're going to have to uh, really, uh, they're going to have to probably get two or three wins uh, against BYU and Gonzaga, including the West Coast Conference Tournament, I think. And the most important thing for them is to avoid any more losses to any other teams in the West Coast Conference. The WCC is a lot stronger this year than it has been. Um, a lot, lot more teams that aren't in that 200 range that we've seen in the past few years. You know, even a team like Santa Clara uh, was 15 and three, so they're, they're not terrible by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but uh, you know, St. Mary's just doesn't have a big margin to work with, even though they've got some pretty good computer numbers. 
Yeah, it's a tightrope for those uh, mid-major or mid-major teams in mid-major conferences who aren't or the Gonzagas uh, of the world. That's where St. Mary's uh, is going to be finding itself this season. Probably going to be a team we talk about a lot in these last four buys, last four in, first four out, next four out sections. Let's talk about that next step down. Your last four in as of today. Who do you have in that spot heading into the weekend? Yeah, this was a tough one this week for sure. Uh, my last four in are Virginia Tech, VCU, Georgetown and NC State, so a pretty pretty good cluster uh, geographically there. Um, it could be a nice little four-team tournament in the yeah. play-in games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Got to love that right there in uh, in the Mid-Atlantic. Uh, Virginia Tech, the team for me uh, that stands out in this quartet. Uh, what's the margin of error for them too? I mean, right. I say I say Kansas, uh, a team that we're always used to having that really big strength of schedule. Uh, feels to me like in the last few years, Virginia Tech is at the opposite end of the spectrum, a power conference team that for whatever reason always puts itself behind the eight ball with a really weak non-conference schedule. That's right, and they're rated 332nd right now in non-conference strength of schedule. Crazy. Uh, that is a, that is going to be a very big hurdle to overcome if they you know have some more stumbles. But they do have that win over Michigan State in Maui. I think that one's going to have a lot of value uh, for the rest of the season. Uh, they did beat NC State, which is another bubble team, obviously, another one of my last four teams in. Uh, you know, they're going to probably – get some more of those opportunities in the ACC. Uh, but if they start to get even closer to that bubble line and drop a few more games, I think that schedule uh, will really hurt them. We saw that last last year with with that NC State team, which right. you know had a lot of wins, but I think that's something like the 350th strength of schedule, and they did not get in. In fact, weren't even close to getting in when the committee uh, talked about the teams that were just left out. Yeah, something that uh, when you look at the history of what the committee has done, teams have been dinged for those soft non-conference schedules. Virginia Tech maybe not getting the same wealth of opportunity that we expect a bubble team to get in the ACC this season with that league looking a bit down from where it usually is. So Virginia Tech uh, team that is going to be living on the bubble most likely as well. Speaking of the ACC maybe being a little bit down from where they were, the defending champs. Virginia, one of your first four teams out of the tournament picture, along with Oregon State, Xavier, and USC. Brian, Virginia, defending champs, they going to be out of this thing? Well, there's a long way to go, but I, but certainly I think if the uh, you know selection committee met today and fielded this uh, tournament, I don't see how you could put Virginia in. You know, going in uh, to Thursday's games, they had uh, a net of 68. Uh, there's non-conference schedule is 156. They've got three losses in quad three. Uh, that's not good. And they have zero wins in quad one. So this is not a profile of a NCAA tournament team. Now, maybe the committee looks at their defensive metrics and figures, well, hey, this is a team that could win a game uh, in the tournament. Um, but for the most part, that is not an NCAA tournament resume. Again, a long way to go. The ACC will give them some opportunities to win games. but And they played really well at Florida State uh, for a long time in that game on Wednesday night. But did not get the win, and they're having all kinds of trouble putting the ball in the basket. So it's going to be a struggle. Hey, got to get yourself over the hump with wins. You can't lose your, you can't good lose your way into the NCAA tournament. Eventually, going to have to get some wins. They get Georgia Tech uh, this weekend, and then next week, uh, what could be a big bubble game against NC State on Monday. So uh, we could be looking at that one as one of our big bracket games of next week. We'll get into bracket games for the weekend ahead a little bit later. Finally, your next four out: Georgia, St. John's, Washington. And St. Louis. St. Louis gets an opportunity this weekend against Dayton. Out of these four teams, are any of them uh, ones that you're watching more closely than others? Any of them that you have your eye on in terms of, you know, maybe this team can surge over the next couple of weeks and be on the right side of the bubble? 
Yeah, I think there's two of them. Um, you know, I, I don't feel good about Washington with Quade Green being out. You know, not, not having a point guard. I think this might be their last week on this on this bubble line, especially if they lost to Cal uh, last week. But uh, uh, Georgia, obviously, with Anthony Edwards, uh, they played really well against Tennessee uh, on Wednesday night. Um, that's a team that could ride his star power uh, to some wins in the SEC and certainly uh, get itself. Uh, off the bubble, uh, you know they have a good a good strength of schedule, so that helps. And then St. Louis, you know this, I I met with, up with Travis Ford uh, right before the season, and, and one thing he told me was uh, it's going to be he was going to have a very young team, but he thought by the time they got to January uh, they could really be something, um, and that started to happen. You know they've got some good wins. They they won at Richmond uh, this past weekend, uh, and that was a good win. As you mentioned, they have Dayton uh, on Friday night, and I think there's some room for. An Atlantic 10, 10 team to get into this field. Uh, they've had a good year overall as a conference. VCU hasn't been that strong. Uh, so I'd watch St. Louis. They've got some good players, including Jordan Goodwin, who's a, who's a really good point guard for them. Yeah, I'm excited to watch that uh, that St. Louis Dayton game over the weekend. We talked about that on uh, our other national college basketball podcast, Miles Moore Madness. Well, I say we. I listened to uh, Tim Miles, former Nebraska coach, and C.J. Moore talk about that game. And uh, Tim's got uh, got St. Louis uh, pulling off a victory in that one. It's going to be uh, one of the fun games over what's a loaded weekend slate. I tell you, we really had to work hard to cut our bracket games of the weekend that we're going to be watching closely down to five because, I mean, I felt I was typing and typing and typing, putting games into the sheet. It's another great weekend slate ahead. St. Louis State and just one of the many games uh, that you're going to want to keep an eye on over that 48-hour window. Uh, you mentioned Gonzaga off the top as we were talking about one seeds, and that's where I want to take this discussion Next, the Gonzaga Bulldogs, the number one team in the country. Not a number one seed for you, Brian. You have them down on the two line. Why are the Bulldogs not worthy of a number one seed right now in your eyes? Yeah, this was probably the biggest topic of conversation in the comments section last week, and and I get it. I mean, if you've <laughs> been watching games, if you watch Gonzaga this year, you, you would not be wrong to uh, say they're one of the four best teams in the country. But I think at this point of the season, you know, I'm a guy who goes mostly by by resumes and by numbers, and they just don't really match up uh, with a lot of the other teams right now. Uh, you know, they they did move up to number five in the net on Thursday morning, so that help that helps. But they're number 303 in non-conference strength of schedule, uh, which is kind of unusual to see for Gonzaga. They 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 usually schedule really well, and you know, they've played some big time games this year, but. You know they got hurt by North Carolina, really falling off a cliff. That that would have been a that should have been a big time quad one win for them, uh, but instead it's you know I think in quad three and um, you know they only have I believe uh, four wins uh, in uh, quad one and quad two combined, and if you compare that, Butler has nine, Kansas has eight, Baylor and Duke have six. There's several teams who have more than four. So, you know. If you want to use the eye test, and if you're a committee member, you can pretty much vote on team for whatever reason you want, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, so I wouldn't argue with anyone who wants to say Gonzaga is going to be a one seed. I, I think they could eventually get up there. Um, they're going to get some some quad one opportunities against BYU and St. Mary's and the like, and and some other teams are going to lose. Uh, but right now, I just think their profile looks more like a, a number two seed than a number one uh, to me. Uh, tell me, tell me if I'm crazy on that, Michael. No, I don't. I really don't. Uh, I don't think you are. And I think the Q1 versus Q and Q1 not versus Q1 plus Q2 uh, wins is an instructive tool to take forward. And you can go even farther than that. I mean, you can go beyond the uh, teams you have on the one line. You've got West Virginia 
with nine Q1 and Q2 wins. Michigan State with six. Uh, Seton Hall, after that big win against Butler on Wednesday, they're up to eight Q1 and Q2 victories. Oregon, who lost to Gonzaga earlier this year, they've got seven Q1, Q2 victories with five of those coming in Q1. So I think you make a good case for it. Uh, what I wonder is how long can it last, right? I mean, there's going to be attrition yeah. for uh, the for, for Duke, even though the ACC is maybe down from what it typically is. Obviously, Baylor, Kansas, West Virginia, those teams are going to be picking at one another in the Big 12, and there's really no easy game, especially when you go on the road in the Big 12. The Big 10 can't figure itself out, and maybe uh, by the time we uh, get a few weeks away from Selection Sunday, isn't even going to have a team realistically in the one-seed discussion. Gonzaga, we typically think they can stay above the fray in the West Coast Conference. Uh, That might be tested a little bit this year with BYU and St. Mary's, probably a little stronger at the top in this conference than it's been in quite a while but we still expect them to be able to stay above those teams, don't we? Yes, for sure. And, you know, in recent years, they've run the table in that league. And it, it's going to be harder for them to do that this year, but it, it's not out of the question that they do it again and go on and win their conference tournament. If they do that, they'll end the season with one loss. <laughs> and I think you can almost guarantee they'd be a number one seed. I think the other issue is geography here. Sometimes right. I feel like the committee, uh, you know, wants to reward a team out west uh, with, with the number one seed in the west region. And if it's close and that's a tiebreaker, uh, I think you could see that because it just works out better for, for the entire pod system and seating and all that. So, you know, I, I actually, if you asked me today if I think Gonzaga is going to end up as a one seed, I'd probably say yes. I just, this bracket is not a projection. It's what would happen <laughs> if this mm-hmm. seating were done today. And I, I just think they, they're a little bit behind the other number one seeds right now. Well, they're not going to be the only option out west for the committee, most likely, because San Diego State is the lone undefeated team remaining in the country, and they are going to be an interesting case because the Mountain West uh, is not going to present them with too many challenges the rest of the way. They uh, won at Utah State. That was going to be a tough one. They took care of business there, as you said a little earlier. Not quite the Utah State team many of us were expecting coming into the season. Utah State, the only other team in the Mountain West that is inside the top 100 of uh, Ken Palm rankings. you got Nevada just outside, New Mexico just outside, Colorado State a little bit outside of it as well. Uh, so this could be a conference that San Diego State dominates, Brian. I've got two questions for you here. The first, and I think I know the answer to it based on what you said with Gonzaga, uh, so I'll just sort of fill it in myself. The resume is just not there quite yet for them to be a one seed, correct? Not right now, no. Uh, they do have some good wins. You know, they beat Creighton and they beat Iowa by double digits each uh, on back-to-back days in Las Vegas. And they also won at BYU, who's in my field uh, as well. And that Utah State game, you know, winning in Logan, Utah is not easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Utah State did have their entire roster healthy for that game. Well, at least uh, least available, not necessarily all healthy. Uh, so those are some good wins. But as you mentioned, the rest of the season, as it stands now, at least in the rest of the regular season, they may not have another game in quad one or quad two. So the rest of their games could be just wins in, in quad three and quad four, and that that's going to be uh, troublesome for them. But the, the, the thing I look at with them is uh, going back to a few years ago when Wichita State went undefeated. Uh, they, w- they ran the table, entered the NCAA tournament undefeated, and did get that number one seed. And they didn't play a great schedule either. They went back when they were in the Missouri Valley Conference, uh, but that did not hurt them. I think because they were undefeated and because they played so well, so good in the in the computer rankings. Now, San Diego State has better wins than that Wichita State team, I believe. And so I, I think if they if they do run the table, uh, they've got a shot, at, a shot at getting up there. All right, well, uh, that's the next question. If they run the table, do they get in there? You think they're a one seed if they run the table? They go totally undefeated? And is there a margin for error? If they lose one game because of how weak this conference is, is that it for them in the one seed discussion? 
Probably, as crazy as that sounds. I mean, it always depends on what other teams do, right? Yeah. Uh, we just don't know what we don't Kansas and Gonzaga and Butler are going to do and things like that. But uh, if they go undefeated, I think they will be a number one seed. That's just too hard to overlook. And the fact that they're not beating teams by, you know, two or three points for the most part. They're they're winning very solidly, including on the road. They had one blip against San Jose State right after they came back from finals. But other than that, they're they're really taking care of business. And this team is legit, I think. Yeah, you mentioned uh, those neutral court wins where they just destroyed Creighton, winning that game by 30. They come out, they beat Iowa. That was a team that still had Jordan Bohannon at the time. They beat uh, the Hawkeyes by 10. Uh, They beat Utah on a neutral floor by 28 points earlier in the year. Uh, They just won at Fresno State by 9. The Utah State win also by 9. So this is a team that is absolutely taking care of business no matter where they play. And the BYU win also on the road that you mentioned. So uh, San Diego State taking care of business. And if you haven't gotten to watch this team just yet this season, Brian Dutcher's got a great squad. You're going to want to see Malachi Flynn play basketball because he is one of the most fun players in the country uh, to watch. Let's move over to what I think is maybe the most fun conference to be paying attention to right now because of how topsy-turvy it has been all season long. The Big Ten, this is a conference uh, that has made very little sense. One thing that's been proven true, it's hard to go on the road and win in the Big Ten. We've seen a ton of teams defend home court. Those same teams go on the road, lose to seemingly inferior opponents. And what it's led to is a jumbled conference that has 12, 12 teams in your current bracket watch. I mean, can you figure out the Big Ten? Do you think this team, this conference is going to spend 12 teams to the big dance? I don't know if they can hold on to that because, you know, teams go on cold streaks, guys get hurt, uh, they're going to beat up on each other. You know, Purdue and Minnesota are both in my field now, but they're both 10 and 7, you know, as of Thursday. Uh, there's, I don't know how many more losses they can take and, and teams are going to beat up on each other. And the other interesting thing is is no one is, is above a three seed uh, for me. So it's, it's it really is a big old jumbled mess. Uh, you know, I think Michigan State uh, is going to be the best team out of that league. Um, and then maybe Maryland behind them. But after that, it's just put them all in a hat, shake them up. <laughs> but, the, but the crazy thing is, you know, those 12 teams are all in the top 47 of the net, you know, on Thursday. That's that's impossible to do in a conference. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned in my uh, bracket uh, bracketology column, uh, Bracket Watch, that uh, the ACC, or excuse me, the Big East put in 11 teams one year, but they had 16 teams that year. Uh, so no, no conference has ever put in 12, and, and certainly not 12 out of 14, which mm-hmm. is uh, just, just is bonkers. It's totally bananas. In poor Northwestern and Nebraska. Right, <laughs> just sitting and like no chance to all those other twelve teams. They've got a shot. Some of them, I mean, Michigan State, uh, Wisconsin, Minnesota, or Maryland, uh, Iowa, like those teams in Michigan, Ohio State. Those teams are going dancing. Everyone's got a shot. And then there's Northwestern and Nebraska, just sitting, uh, sitting at the bottom, <laughs> looking up at the most competitive conference that we've seen in quite a while. Well, Nebraska and Northwestern could probably do the league a favor by just agreeing not to win any more games this year because <laughs> any win they get is just going to hurt uh, the chances of the other team. So, uh, you know, maybe they can uh, give them a little bit bigger slice of the NCAA tournament pie just to agree to do that. <laughs> when you, how, how do you look at a team like Ohio State, a team that started so strong in the non-conference? They beat Cincinnati. They beat Villanova. Uh, they, they beat Kentucky in the non-conference. They start off uh, their conference play with a win over Penn State. And then they just go in the tank, lose four straight games, uh, one of them being against West Virginia out of conference, but then they lose to uh, Wisconsin, Maryland, and Indiana, those last two ones coming on the road. How do you deal with a team like Ohio State that started out so strong, that has some good computer numbers, ranked number nine on Ken Palm, but right now, two and four in their own conference, 12 and five overall? 
Yeah, it's it's really tricky, and you know, it reminds me a little bit of Ohio State last year, right? They got off to a really hot start last year, uh, and then kind of went in the tank a little bit, and then rebounded. Uh, it's tough, and and also taking into account that, you know, one of their big wins early in the year was when they went to North Carolina and and, and uh, spanked them by like twenty five points. We were all like, wow, they went one in Chapel Hill, and you know, they did have Cole Anthony at the time, so maybe we shouldn't, you know dismiss that as much but it doesn't look like much now does it um so that's that's another issue there the cincinnati win looked great start the year cincinnati hasn't been that good uh, but then they beat kentucky on a neutral floor so it's a it's a it's a really weird resume um you know they haven't been playing that well obviously especially on offense uh, and they need to rebound i've got them down at a five seed right now but uh i could see them sliding some more uh, if they don't put this thing back together of course, then we see Kentucky go out and lose to South Carolina uh, on Wednesday of this week. And like you said, right at the beginning of the show, uh, madness. It's always an appropriate word for this sport. Uh, it's a word that's always going to be attached to this sport. But uh, even more appropriate, it seems, this season when there just really hasn't been any clear definition at the top. And teams, uh, uh, so many teams losing after they've reached number one in the country. So many teams losing to teams that are seemingly inferior to, to them, and that's uh, something we're going to be tracking all season long here at Bracket Madness. We're going to wrap up our debut episode with another one of the staples that we'll be going to every single episode, at least uh, in our late-week episodes. Uh, again, uh, later in the season, we'll be doing this a little bit more frequently. We'll be bringing on Eamon Brennan, who writes the uh, very comprehensive bubble watch here at The Athletic that you should absolutely be reading. That is already up and running, and he'll be talking bubble stuff, but uh, when we do these late week episodes, we're going to be looking ahead to what we're calling bracket games over the weekend. As I said a little earlier, a loaded weekend slate, uh, and you can define bracket games any way you want, right? I mean, maybe it's two bubble teams, maybe it's two teams toward the top of the uh, seed list, maybe it's a a little bit of a mix, Uh, but we've narrowed it down uh, to five for this weekend. The first one, Kentucky and Arkansas, what are you looking for there? Yeah, let me just say that we eliminated all the Big Ten games this weekend. Yeah. There are some great ones, but there's just so many of those teams that I don't know that we get any clarity from any one result uh, at this point in the season. So while it feels like there's three huge Big Ten games every day of the season, uh, I don't know if there's any one right now that, that we need to pay that much attention to in terms of the bracket. But, uh, yeah, Kentucky and Arkansas, I will actually be at that game. Um, and it's you know I think it's interesting for both sides. You know, Arkansas's – uh, had a fantastic start. No one expected them to be a tournament team this year, but Eric Musselman has been working his magic, and and here they are. You know, I think I have them as a uh, six or seven seed right now, and uh, you know, but they haven't really gotten that big signature win yet. They did win at Indiana, which was a really nice win, but uh, clearly, you know, Kentucky comes to town. That's a different ball game, and and for Kentucky, as we mentioned, just the weirdest resume in the country. You know, three bad losses to Utah, South Carolina. And of course, Evansville, which is a quad four loss right now, uh, they've got to get this thing back together, uh, or they're gonna they're gonna keep sliding, you know, down to a six seed on on my uh, on my seed list right now. And uh, you know, you could argue maybe they deserve to be lower than that, or, or higher. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, it's like I said, it's uh, you and I are sitting here recording this on January sixteenth. There's going to be a lot that changes uh, over these next two months. One thing that I don't think is going to change is Duke and Louisville being tournament teams. Feels pretty safe to say. I know we're not quite using the word lock just yet, but I think Duke and Louisville are going to see their names somewhere in the field of 68. You've got Duke as a one right now, Louisville as a five. Those two teams getting together on Saturday in Durham. Uh, What's at stake in that one? Yeah, I mean, you know, Louisville's an interesting uh, case for me as well. You know, the 14-3, and three, got a good strength of schedule. 
But, you know, their real only win of, of major note was beating Michigan at home, you know, and that was right after Michigan came back from the Bahamas and, you know, Michigan was had a case for being number one in the country. But then, you know, they've certainly fallen off since then. So, you know, winning that game at home doesn't look, you know, all that great anymore. It's, it's a good win, don't get me wrong. Uh, but, you know, for them to get into that three or four line, they're going to have to pull off a couple of these wins in the ACC. And while it's certainly not easy to go into Cameron Indoor, if they were to win a road game at Duke, I think you could start talking about them as a legitimate type of, you know, number three, number four seed type of team. Yeah, out west, uh, Pac-12 has been pretty interesting uh, to me this season. What's going on with Arizona recently, right? I mean, this is a team that uh, that uh, I think the talent is not quite matching up uh, to what they've put out with uh, an 11-5 and overall record. They've lost four of their last five. They're just 1-2 and two in the Pac-12. They got swept uh, in the state of Oregon last week. Now they come back home for their uh, swing against the Mountain teams at home. Utah tonight on Thursday. We'll, uh, we'll just chalk it up as a win right now. Maybe we'll have to revisit that next week. But then the game we're talking about here on Saturday against Colorado, a team that is 2-1 and one in the Pac-12 right now, 13-3 and three overall. Uh, what are we looking for in this one? Yeah, Arizona, you know, played a really good schedule, but they're 0-4 in quad one, uh, which is, uh, you know, it's hard. that's not great, obviously, but they almost had that game at Oregon, went to overtime, uh, just couldn't make a couple plays down the stretch. Uh, they need a game like this, and even though it's at home, um, you know, it's going to be a, a big-time quad one game for them um, to kind of keep them in that five or six range for now. And for Colorado, a, a team that's, you know, got some good wins, you know, they beat Dayton, uh, that was a good one. Uh, I think they beat Oregon at home. So uh, if they were to get this one, I've got them as a as a five seed right now, which may be a bit high. But um, I think if they were to win this one, they could kind of solidify that standing. And that's not uh, that's not kind of the air you see used to seeing uh, the Colorado Buffaloes at in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, like you said, it's a quad one game for both these teams right now. Arizona's 16th in the net. Colorado 20th in the net. So this is going to be an important one uh, for both of these teams on Saturday. Big 12. Big Ten, these teams uh, have dominated a lot of our discussion uh, in the uh, college basketball ranks this season. But the Big East right there, too. They actually have the second most teams in your field right now. Big Ten, again, with 12. Big East with six. Marquette and Georgetown in what's going to be a big game for two teams that we expect to live most of the next two months, if not all the next two months on the bubble. Yeah, I think this is, uh, if you want to just talk top to bottom, uh, this might be the deepest team excuse me, deepest league in the country, uh, which may sound weird to say when we talked about the Big Big Ten, but there's there's really no weak teams uh, in this league. You know, uh, Georgetown is in my playing game, but, you know, Xavier's right there uh, on the cut line. Providence has been playing well. You know, DePaul was a team that was right there uh, on the bubble for, for a long time. So uh, every team in that league at least has realistic aspirations of making the NCAA tournament. Uh, so this is going to be just a real dogfight. Uh, every single week, every single night in the Big East is going to be fascinating. You know, Marquette just came off, uh, you know, huge win over Xavier, just blew them out, looked pretty good in doing that. Georgetown, uh, obviously a big win over Creighton. Uh, they're a team I kind of expected to fade after the personnel losses and, and playing with that short bench, but uh, they're still hanging around. And so I think uh, this, is a, this is a big game for both teams, as it will be. I guess, as I said, just about every night in the Big East. Yeah, right. Every night in the Big East. And anytime you get an opportunity to knock off a team that you expect to be right there on the bubble with you, that is a big game. And again, that's where we think Marquette and Georgetown are likely to be. Uh, obviously, both those teams have it in them to go on a big run in the Big East and get themselves off the bubble in the right way. Uh, but uh, right now, as it projects, as we're looking at it, 
two teams likely to be on the bubble uh, on January 16th, on February 16th, on March 15th on Selection Sunday. So we will see uh, what happens between those two over the weekend. Finally, our last bracket game, at least the last one that we're going to talk about here. It is in that West Coast Conference. It is this. It is with those number two seeded in the athletic bracket watch, Gonzaga Bulldogs against BYU. Uh, this feels almost like a silver bullet game for BYU in that if they win this one, it almost doesn't matter what they do within reason uh, the rest of the way. But this could be the one that puts them in the tournament if they're able to go into Spokane, I believe, right? This is a game that's in yep. uh, in Spokane and win this one. Yeah, I think that's right, especially because BYU could be without its best player in your elite child's you know, he hurt his, uh, the index finger on, on his shooting hand. Um, he's unlikely probably to be back uh, for this game, although it is possible. Uh, so if they go in there without him uh, and lose, I don't think the committee is going to hold it against him, although he's missed a lot of games now. So so eventually, you know, you're going to have to be considered who you are uh, without him. But, uh, yeah, if they go in and win this game, then they they're certainly have solidified their status. And, and they're a team, even though I've got them at the, on the nine line, they could easily fall off that and, and be right on the bubble. Uh, and for Gonzaga, we talked about it earlier, they just don't have enough quad one, quad two games yet. And this is a quad one uh, game that they need to win at home. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, again, a big one for both teams, and especially, you said, with Gonzaga, right? Uh, if they're going to get a one seed, if they're going to climb ahead of one of this group of Duke, Baylor, Kansas, Butler, maybe West Virginia plays their way in that mix, San Diego State, if they go undefeated, it's going to be hard to keep them off the one line, and maybe Gonzaga and San Diego State are gunning for that same number one seed out in the West region. These are the sorts of games that Gonzaga certainly is going to have to win, even though they will be comfortable favorites at home against BYU and Brian that's going to do it for us on our first episode of Bracket Madness how did it feel feels great can't wait to do this again next week when everybody has lost a couple games and we'll just have all <laughs> new takes <laughs> hey man I was I was actually I was a, I was a little worried about you last night I knew we were going to be doing this today and then you know Butler goes down to Seton Hall and Kentucky goes down <laughs> to South Carolina right and I was like oh man I do not envy Brian uh, having to uh, having to move things around after a night like that I will say it was easier to do last year when I lived on the West Coast and I had a little bit of a cushion before I wanted to go to sleep. But, uh, yeah, that's just how it goes. That's how it goes. That's how we'll be doing it every week here on Bracket Madness. Thank you for listening to us. Thank you for listening to this inaugural episode again. Brian on Twitter at G, the letter G. Brian Bennett. I am at M. Beller. Uh, check out theathletic.com slash Bracket Madness and get yourself 40% off a subscription to The Athletic. You'll get all our great work, including – Brian's Bracket Watch every single week. Thanks for joining us on this maiden voyage. For Brian, I am Michael. Have a great weekend and get ready for the madness.